welcome to a special episode of Let's Get Our Ship Together, a Lezzy fangirl debrief on the latest in queer women of color representation in television and film. I'm Aphrodite. And I'm Amira. And we are temporarily back from the dead to debrief Netflix's The Half of It with you today. Amira, I have missed you. I've missed you too. Yeah. I mean, it's not like we stopped talking or anything. Of course. course, (laughs) We're always talking. For any of our old listeners, I don't want to spend too much time talking about it, but I'm over charmed and I'm practically over (laughs) the bold type. I'm just going to be really honest. Did you finish the last season of Charmed? No, I didn't. (laughs) I do think that I ended up watching more of Charmed than you did. And I was still enjoying it because... I love, like, just, like, witchy shit, you know? Like, <laughs> it's a genre that I'm very much interested mm. in. You know, it, like, does it for me, regardless of, of um, representation. But the bold type, that genre alone, without queer representation, is not interesting enough to keep me going. I mean, there is queer rep. It's not like there is it there. But of I course, should, yeah. yeah. This is also our, we haven't done this in quarantine before. Amira and I, we've been, like, trying to play catch up with, like, gay stuff on TV and movies, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You mentioned to me that you feel like you might be running out of content. I don't know. You know, it's kind of like when you're feeling kind of snacky and you go to the fridge and you, like, you do the rounds, <laughs> right? Like, you go to the cabinet and you're like, I'm not really in the mood for this stuff. And you go to the fridge, oh, I'm not really in the mood for this stuff. And then you, like, lower your standards and then you look again. You know what I mean? Like, Damn. I feel like that's how it's become with Queer Rep where when we were ever so young, when it was much scarcer, you know, I mean, you'll take any snacks you find in the cabinet if there's only like two things in there, right? But damn, now we have a plethora of snacks, so we can be a little bit more choosy about which ones we actually want to consume. Very true. And so because now we have so much more time on our hands, I feel like I'm now doing that whole like, okay, lower standards, look again, <laughs> because I'm, I've run out of lower you know, the standards, quality. look again. Oh my God. <laughs> You know, it's like, I mean, I do it when I like browse Netflix or whatever it is, you know, I'm, I'm like browsing and I'm like, eh, none of this stuff really interests me. There's a few things where I'm like, oh, maybe if I was really desperate. So then when I go back on the second or third browsing, I'm like, okay, now I've reached the point where I can maybe settle for some of these things. I don't know. I don't know if you've experienced the same thing. I'm kind of in like a, a headspace where I only want to watch things that bring me queer joy. I... I'm not in the headspace for stuff that, first of all, I'm never in the headspace, uh, pandemic or not, for hetero stuff. Right. Just not interested. Like, (laughs) It's hard to stomach it. I I understand. I know. It really is. (laughs) (laughs) But like, I was a huge fan of Saving Face. Mm. So it's been 15 years since Saving Face came out. And I remember how moved I was the first time I saw it. And then I, I did a screening of Saving Face again a few years ago, and it was still so moving. Yeah. Just to, like, see, see myself on the screen like that. I have to say, when I saw the trailer for the half of it, I was not 100% sold on it because mm-hmm. I was like, I don't know if this is going to disappoint me. <laughs> I, I, I watched the trailer. I was like, some kind of tr- love triangle goes on. There's like a, like a Chinese girl and then two what seems like white people. I didn't realize Aster was not mm-hmm, white mm-hmm. Um, until later in the film. And then I was like, this can't end well. This is going to disappoint me. And so what did I do? I organized a Netflix party, which I invited you to. Yep, yep. <laughs> I was like, if, I, if this is going to disappoint me, I at least want to be in the company of my friends, at least virtually. Rightfully so. We all need yeah. that support group. <laughs> I, I know, I know. <laughs> and then when it didn't disappoint me, I was like, oh, shit. 
I was fully expecting to be disappointed because because romantic comedies as a genre and I just like this can't end well for the lesbian this just can't right I have to fully prepare myself so I was like that's why I was like I have to throw this giant Netflix party with like 20 of my friends so that like I'm not alone when this all goes to shit and then I was so pleasantly surprised like you I was also a little bit apprehensive because I mean knowing that this was an Alice Wu film I was like okay you know seeing that trailer if it had been written and or directed by a straight person, a white oh, person, yeah. or both, oh, yeah. I would have been like, no way. There's no way this is going to capture the story that we would hope that it would capture. So when I saw it was an Alice Wu film, I was like, okay. And and especially because you, in particular, were telling me we should watch this. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> overall, my overall takeaway was I really, really enjoyed it. And I felt like you know, I would put this in the category, not quite the exact same category as Love, Simon, but um, in terms of like movies that I would have really, really, really loved while I was in high school. Mm. You know, like had they come out while I was in high school or if I was a high schooler now um, in 2020, I think it would have really, really spoken to me, you know, on a whole yeah. nother level. So yeah. Yeah, I definitely had that feeling too. You know, this movie already like on its face checks multiple boxes, right? It's a feel-good movie featuring a queer woman of color and it's like also directed by a queer woman of color. So I was kind of like, why would she fail us? Right. I kept thinking of, would Alice Wu try to hurt us if she's one of us? Like, I don't think she would. I don't think she would try to hurt us. But like with that trailer, I was fully expecting to be hurt. And then watching it, I just thought, I just thought about like... It took me back to awkward, Gaijin, little high school me. Like, mm. super awkward. Glasses, ponytail. Also plays the piano. Quote, unquote, the Chinese girl at yeah. school. Oh my god, this was me. This was me having, like, some horrible crush on a girl who's way too popular for me. Dying every time she made eye contact with me. Yep. I remember once I had, I had a crush on a girl who I think was, like, two years above me in high school. I must have been a sophomore and she was a senior. And I was, like... Like terrified to ever make eye contact with her and one day we were both in theater tech by the way we were taking a theater tech class and <laughs> we're both theater like, guys we've established this I, <laughs> I like opened the door to the backstage and she was about to open the door so when I opened the door she was right there and I was so shocked and terrified I fell over backward and then I did like an almost backward somersault because of my backpack. It was like I was turtling. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was turtling on the, on the auditorium floor. I was so terrified. And so there's that scene at the beginning where Ellie drops her books and everything mm-hmm. and Aster like looks straight at her and she just goes, I'm Ellie Chu. Like she just... <laughs> I was like, oh my God. I think as awkward as Ellie is, she's a little, a little less awkward than you. In high school, I think we can say. The only unrealistic part of her character is that, you know, the awkwardness, I think, is not quite taken to the the cringeworthy extreme that many of us queers can relate to. (laughs) Oh, my God. Like, if this film had come out when we were when we were growing up and specifically for me to see an East Asian queer woman, she doesn't fit the parameters of conventional beauty by American standards. Mm -hmm. And to see her, she's the object of desire for multiple characters by the end of the film. Right. And I was just like, holy shit, someone who looks like me could be desired. Right. Someone who looks like me could make a connection with someone who looks like Aster. That shocked me. Watching it unfold and it 
kind of still continues to shock me because even when you grow up as an adult, there are certain parts of like your inner gaby self that you never really shed. That small voice from your adolescence that's telling you you're a lesbian, you're never going to be loved. And if this movie had come out when we were kids, I feel like that voice never would have been born. Yeah, no, I agree. And I mean, we've talked about this um, in previous episodes about why it's important to have butch or even just androgynous masculine of center representation because all of the the representation we get as very beautiful feminine women because that's usually what the male execs will allow (laughs) in tv and film so it's very easy for masculine center women to fall into that same mindset of like well i nobody would find me attractive because that's not who's being found attractive on tv you know they have kind of the stereotypically butch women who are usually like the butt of a joke So it really cannot be understated how important that kind of representation is to show unconventionally, I wouldn't even say unconventionally attractive people, just like just different types of people being found attractive. I love that there was no makeover scene. Yes. The moment where she gets hot is when she's playing the guitar, (laughs) which is legit. Right? Like, (laughs) I mean, like super dikey action scene. Yeah. Even the shopping with Paul was so sweet because I felt like, you know, that's the closest thing we got to a makeover scene. And it was really just like picking out her style. You know, when he said like something about how he grew up with sisters and whatever, I was like, oh God, now she's going to come out in this like, I thought it was going to be that kind of a makeover scene, you know, where she comes out in a, a dress and everyone's like, oh my God, you know, she's so beautiful. Like. I think his exact words, like, it's not right seeing you all girled up. Yes, yeah. He knew immediately that her trying to look more feminine was not her. It, so instead of trying to femme her up, she like he said, stop trying to femme yourself up. That's not you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Let me pick out something. And it was just like a simple white button up with some pants. Yeah, which I loved because that's what I have worn personally yeah! to dress up before. <laughs> When I was that age. I saw that outfit. I'm like, this isn't a mirror look? Yes. Uh, <laughs> I knew right away. I knew right away this was like a mirror look. So, okay. I should say that I was also not sold on Paul right away. It took... I had to warm up to him. Yeah. I had to warm up to him a lot. And even the... like, So I've already watched this movie a couple of times. And the second viewing, I started to like really appreciate him as a character. When I first saw him on the screen, I'm like, in the Netflix chat, I was like, ew, <laughs> cis hit boy, yuck. <laughs> I, was, I was just like that in the in the group chat, and I was like not having it. I'm like, nope, don't need this guy. Sorry, in it for Ellie and Esther. <laughs> yeah, of course. But he slowly kind of earned our trust and earned Ellie's trust mm-hmm, too. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, Alice really, uh, sorry, I'm referring to the director as if like we're friends. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know why sometimes it seems chunky to say, like, the full name every time, but I, I am talking about Alice Wu, the, the director of the film. I feel like she did, she put in the work mm. to make, you know, Paul, the character, put in the work to make us like him. Because yes. at first glance, he's cishet, white boy, football player, pretty dumb. <laughs> just, like, in a, <laughs> in a, like, clueless, like, bless his heart kind of way. And, you know, you think that he's just another trig, just like uh, Astra's current boyfriend. I mean, at least for us, our our man-hating perspective, you know, we kind of write him off initially as just like, oh, God. And then, you know, this beautiful friendship blossoms between him and Ellie. What I love is is the balance of like, okay, we're learning about him. His character is fully formed, three-dimensional. But the story is not, like, focusing too much on him. It is still very much about Ellie. Mm, um, so I think yes. that balance was done really, really well. 
I was so terrified that she was going to end up with a white dude, and then that was going to trigger me in all sorts of ways. Oh, God, yeah. But uh, again, it's Alice Wu. I was like, she's not going to fuck me up like that. <laughs> yeah, and I do suspect that the trailer was edited in such a way that would draw in sort of a wider audience, because I don't think that she <laughs> had control over the trailer. I think Netflix <laughs> creates the trailer from the from the content of the movie. So. But that's also the entire design of the film. Like, they give us a premise. Mm-hmm. Cyrano, what's his name? Yeah, it's like the Cyrano. I mean, it was a book originally and then became a, a film with Gerard Depardieu, which is a French actor that is an Every single French film, just in case, <laughs> in case you ever watch something and you're like, oh, it's that guy. Yeah. It's Gerard Depardieu. Even I know who that yeah. is. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's funny because I watched Cyrano in like a middle school French class. Definitely do not think it was appropriate for that age group, but whatever. I just remember sort of in the back of my mind being like, this is like a really familiar <laughs> premise of like a movie. But I just figured, you know, it's probably just a common idea. And then I read that it was based on that. So... I wasn't just imagining it. Yeah, but they gave us a sort of a premise that was so ready to be Mm tropey. And they sold it to us as like, here's this big love triangle. But then the opening lines of the film is like, just just so you know, this is not a love story. Yes. Or at least not one where anyone gets what they want. It stays true to that. The opening sort of, it's like I'm, I'm on the search for my other half, right? And like you think this is going to be a romantic love story. But it's not that. And in fact, both Ellie's journey and... Uh, and even Astor's and Paul's is less about, you know, finding their other half in terms of their romantic partner, but more like realizing that they are their other half. Yes, yeah. Speaking about, you know, how the movie opens, that when they started the Greek myth about the soulmates, I was like, this shit is from Xena. I mean, I know it's not from Xena, but like, <laughs> it's the same story that they told in that episode of Xena, um, Prometheus and Chains. And I was like, wow, this is like, as gay as it gets, you know what I mean? Like referencing Greek mm-hmm. mythology that was also referenced in an episode of Xena Warrior Princess, like double the gay. Um, yeah. And then when they referenced that that uh, story in the hot spring scene, I was like, wow, beautiful symbolism. The You know, the Greek myth about the soulmates. So like everybody had like two faces. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah, so then when they're floating um, in the hot spring, the reflections make it look like they are those creatures with like the two faces. Mm. So it's a reference, yeah, Yeah, it's a reference to that story and of them kind of like finding their other halves when they were like, you know, opening up to each other. I think I didn't pick up on that because I saw it as a reference to Hedwig and the Angry Inch, The Origin of Love. Oh, okay. Have you seen that? No, I haven't. Okay, so just look for the scene, The Origin of Love in Hedwig and the Angry Inch. And it's a similar animation that shows two connected bodies that split and cleave into two and are separated. I thought the entire opening animation was an homage to Hedwig and the Angry Inch. I would probably speculate that both of them are just referencing the original Greek myth. Ah, okay. So I also watched it last night with Alice Wu's director's commentary. Of course. She made multiple references to other films Mm. throughout this movie that were very purposeful wow for example a couple of the 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 black and white movies that are playing at ellie's house are all movies with love triangles in them except for one and this one movie where it's not a love triangle it's because technically one of the one of the corners of the triangle is not a person they're an angel Mm -hmm. and this angel falls in love with a human who doesn't get to who doesn't see them or know them alice Wu, in her director's commentary talked about how that's the experience of growing up queer you crush on someone and they might never ever know so in this analogy, the queer person is the angel. Exactly. So like like you're a queer person who admires someone from afar and they don't get to know. And you just have to live with your feelings. Because it's like, 
it's too scary to say that out loud. Wow. Yeah. And then as she's saying this, I'm also noticing that in all the church scenes, Ellie is seated above yes. oh. all of the congregants. And I'm like, oh my God, Ellie's the fucking angel. And like at the end when she comes down from where the piano is yes. to reveal. Wow. I know. This is, this I know, is a lot. Right? This is a lot. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> this is probably autobiographical, you know? I mean, she did say in, oh, in part that it is derived from her own experiences, but. I also read this other interview where Alice Wu talked about how she had a falling out with her best friend who is a straight man. The falling out was because the straight man's girlfriend was kind of threatened by their platonic intimacy, oh. that the friendship ended. And she said that she wrote this movie as a love letter to that friendship. And she wanted to rewrite the ending of that friendship. Wow. Which I just found like really moving. My bestie, Eric, as soon as you even mention the moment where Paul finds the letters that Ellie wrote, that she was going to mail out to food mm-hmm. critics. As soon as you begin to mention that scene, Eric starts crying. Oh, yeah. He's just like cries basically on command <laughs> as soon as he thinks of that scene because he's so moved by yeah. it, by the by the power of their friendship. If we got a sequel, I would love to see their friendship, all three of them actually, continue. You can really see that the love was there and that it was real. Hold on, we we, ha- we have the whole movie to go through. But I like, know, I know. Just- Let's talk about a couple of like scenes that we liked. The painting montage when they were like painting oh back God. and forth to each other that was like i mean oh God. the most romantic type of poetry to me i mean that was like beautiful oh my god i have to say ellie okay when she gets to college she is gonna be such a fucking baller because <sighs> right <laughs> with like with moves like that like she pulled off an incredible romantic heist i have to say like stealing aster's heart without aster even knowing there's also that really lovely exchange in the bathroom do you remember that yes where the camera looks at the two of them in the mirror it like focuses in and out on each of the characters with aster in the background just like the way that they make eye contact it's just like incredible actually how much that connection was there even before it was articulated in the way that it was. Yeah. Because in a way, they're both outsiders. Ellie is an outsider because she's obviously, she's visibly non-white. She's visibly Asian. Mm -hmm. And she's also from an immigrant family. And then Aster is also an outsider because even though she passes as white, her family speaks Spanish Mm -hmm. with her. Mm -hmm. And she also lives in a religious household. But she blends in physically. And so these are two outsiders who are on opposite ends of the social ladder, but who have this thing in common, despite the positions that they occupy. Yeah. Yeah, these are two outsiders. And they're even in those like very brief exchanges directly between the two of them where they're making eye contact. It's like wonderful. And then seeing Ellie just like open herself up in these letters to Aster and then this that painting scene where they paint like a woman together and it kind of reopens Aster had shut down the part of herself that wanted to be an artist Ellie was like no let's let's explore that Mm -hmm. and of course Aster picks out the one painting that looks like a vulva (laughs) on the wall and then snaps a photo of it right (laughs) god yeah and that's when it cuts right to the sausages yeah (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah that was brilliant I mean so about the bathroom scene, I mean, I just have to say the, these actresses did a really phenomenal job with, like, the the subtleties in facial expression and, you know, the trademarked lesbian longing oh my God, that yeah. we see in, in so many films these days. Those looks. Yeah, I mean, Portrait of a Lady on Fire proved that you can make an entire movie based on lesbian <laughs> longing. 
Carol tried to do it, but Portrait of a Lady on Fire, really, literally the entire movie. But no, these <laughs> these actors, I mean, they're they're relatively young and they did a fantastic job. So I really love and appreciate the chemistry that they created. Oh yeah, oh yeah. On screen, you know, Paul is like, he's kind of like the the lovable brute. You know, he's he's just like a little bit. He's all action and Ellie's all talk. So I feel like they kind of balance mm. each other out in that way, where Ellie was constantly terrified to go to the next step. I mean, probably for other reasons too, because she doesn't really want to let go of what what's happening strictly between her and Aster. She doesn't want to give it give it away to Paul just yet. You know, when he's saying, oh, I should text her, oh, I should text her. And she's like, no, 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 we have to wait. But I think part of it was also her fear of kind of taking it to the next step, you know, like making the move. And so Paul finally, you know, just charged in like a bull in a china shop. It sort of ended up working. And Ellie seemed actually surprised by it. I mean, like I said, I know she was disappointed because she wanted to keep it between her and Aster and not actually progress to the next level where it would be Paul benefiting. But it did seem like she just truly did not think that that would work. So I just, I feel like they kind of were learning <laughs> a little bit from each yeah. other in that way. Absolutely. I mean, it, it, that's really reflected in like the piece of dialogue where he's like, when does the dating happen? Yeah. And she says, this is dating. And she's looking <laughs> wistfully into the distance. <laughs> Like, basically, <laughs> dating in lesbian speak is just yearning. Yeah. Like, the yearning in and of itself is the same as dating if you're, like, a lonely lesbian living in rural Washington, right? Exactly. Yep. That's that's <laughs> all you can ever aspire to. Yeah. And he's like, no, dating is burgers and fries and stuff. And, like, they're both right. <laughs> if it was just Paul, there would be no romance. Right. And if it was just Ellie, there would be no action. Exactly. You're right. They balance each other out. They teach each other how to love you know paul gets all the physical action like holding hands and kissing and stuff mm -hmm. and even just the physical dates like in person oh yeah but ellie is there for her mind they have like a, an intellectual connection which by the way i don't think anybody in high school talk like that oh absolutely not <laughs> Let's suspend my disbelief and just I'm just going to go with it and pretend that high schoolers can talk. Yeah, like I'm just going to enjoy the ride. <laughs> it's no wonder that her English teacher loved her and you know, oh wanted God. her to, like, succeed and, like, you know, <laughs> think outside of Squamish. Because it's, I mean, imagine if you had a kid like that in your high school class, like, I mean, I'd lose my mind. I'd be like, you need to apply to right? all of these scholarships immediately and mm -hmm. all of these different colleges. I mean, I, she only gave her one, obviously, college application. That was the college that she had gone to. But if Ellie were a real person, she her, pian her potential goes far beyond that. I did love the teacher, by the oh, way. She was just like, I don't mind the cheating. It helps the papers. Like, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, she's like, wow, six different takes on Plato. <laughs> and she picks up the note that she wrote to Aster and is like, is this why people's essays have been shitty? Like, yeah. because you've been writing love letters? Like, the teacher's mad about it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I did like that teacher connection because I also felt like that was another realistic aspect of a lot of queer kids' school experience. You know, unfortunately, many kids just felt, you know, sort of bullied and not well understood throughout school, but I feel like a lot of us have that story of like that one or sometimes more than one teacher that like really got you and, you know, you could like eat lunch in their classroom or like, you know, you did exceptionally well in their class and you were like their favorite kid or something like that. And they just kind of like helped your experience a little bit more mm -hmm. having that one teacher who believed in you. Oh yeah. You know, if we're following the stereotype of like, are you a math gay or an English gay? Ellie is obviously an English gay. An English gay. <laughs> oh my God. I was totally 100% an English yeah. gay. <laughs> I, I was a math gay myself, but you know, <laughs> someone's gotta be. 
for the first what half of the movie they're texting back and forth when they're in the church and ellie texts aster and aster's grinning and ellie sees aster grinning mm-hmm. but then aster turns around and looks at paul and he's got this doofy yeah. looking smile on his face <laughs> not knowing what on earth like ellie did oh to God. prompt that response yeah. but it was just like watching them grin and like lean their heads against the window at night being like why are you up so late and i'm just like this is so intimate it was so high school flirty It was really well done. You know, at one point I was thinking, wow, it's so nice. It's so refreshing to see a story where they're not, they're not having like a whole backstory of the girls, like, you know, with respect to their sexuality. And then I realized we are watching the backstory. I mean, so Mm. many stories that we've watched, even if they start in high school, they kind of come with like baggage already. You know what I mean? It's like them figuring it out or it's like, you know, the, the trope of like, the one who already knows and the one who doesn't. Yeah. And it's always from the point of view of the one who doesn't. This isn't like a romance in the traditional sense where they end up with someone, but this is like them figuring out their own stuff. This is almost like a prequel to the movie about a girl who already knows and has her backstory. They're just figuring their shit Mm -hmm. out, you know? Mm -hmm. And they're figuring it out by like making mistakes, hurting each other, trying their best, and then like, growing Mm -hmm. it's a coming of age story more than it is a romantic comedy yes like yeah i mean it's romantic and it's comedic but it's also a queer coming of age story for both ellie and aster like aster is definitely like a therese in that she's like (laughs) dating this guy and she's like well you know i barely know what to order for lunch (laughs) like you know she's like she's like she's (laughs) yeah (laughs) you know it's hard to catch but in that scene where ellie dropped her books aster actually slipped her a pair of gloves or no, sorry, it would be the other way around, wouldn't it? Yeah, no, no, I At messed that up. Her pair of gloves. Oh my god! <laughs> oh my god, that's hilarious. Yeah, from the beginning, you don't quite read her as queer, but first she takes the photo of that the vagina painting, right. and then you're like, huh right Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. interesting interesting and then she's like really into books and reading she's she's also i'm sure an english gay yes like she just sort of like dates boys because she thinks that's what she's supposed to be doing yeah compulsive heteronormativity exactly but you can tell that she's not into Mm -hmm. it she's totally disinterested i read her now as queerer knowing that she's just so disconnected from the world around her despite the fact that she looks like she blends in yeah. You know? Yeah. And that's sort of the struggle sometimes of queer people who growing up date the opposite sex, thinking, well, that's just the thing to do. They can blend in perfectly, but inside they feel like such weirdos. Yeah. It's sort of like, you know, Natasha Leone's character in But I'm a Cheerleader. You know, in the beginning, mm-hmm. she's got this boyfriend and she hates making out and she doesn't really get why. She's got all these pictures of girls inside of her locker. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, obviously, you know, that was created as a, as a comedic parody, but. It's not too far off from from reality in some cases. I mean, I feel like a lot of us reflect back on our days before we knew that we were queer. And there are some really big, bold red flags where we know we kind of laugh about it now thinking like, how did I not know? And so I think Aster is going to have a very similar, you know, experience when she's a little bit older and be like, wow, I did not realize, you know, we don't know right now if she's if she would identify as bisexual or gay or whatever but she's definitely queer she's gonna have a good time in art school i wrote down that note at the end of the movie i said if aster goes to art school she'll def get to explore her possible queerness that is the the note that i wrote (laughs) she's gonna go to art school meet those art queers Uh get some tattoos and then ellie's gonna like ellie's gonna come into her soft butch self yeah (laughs) in college at grinnell which apparently also produces plenty of queers oh good Good. The, yeah. the school. 
<laughs> yeah, I know. I'm, I was thinking like Astra is going to have at least one bad experience with like a straight couple looking for a third. And then <laughs> I don't know why when I think of like art school, I think of like those memes of like, oh, like we're queering heterosexuality with like, you know, it's like the guy has like a septum piercing and like a man bun and, and oh like the girl god. has an undercut. Oh my god. And- <laughs> yes, I know. I know. <laughs> So, I don't know. Good luck, Aster. So, let's get to the point where they start to interact and it becomes like a date Mm. between Ellie and Aster. So, the charade has gone on. And then Ellie wakes up in Paul's bed, which looks kind of weird. And she's like flustered and her jacket is half on. (laughs) And then Aster walks in. Which, honestly, for someone who looks like Aster to look directly at you is terrifying. (laughs) You are too hot. It's like blinding me. I can't look right at you. And she's looking right at Ellie. Like a piercing stare. And she's holding this painting that she did, Mm -hmm. right? And Ellie sees it and says like, oh, I like this one stroke off to the side. It's lonely, but hopeful. And then all of a sudden, Aster whips around and is like, hey, do you want to hang out? I have the day. And then Ellie looks like a deer in the headlight. Like, what? Like, what? (laughs) Yeah, that actress did that look really, really well, by the way. She does it a few times. In the movie. The gay panic look. Yes, the gay panic. Just like gay panic. (laughs) Absolutely. Look. She did gay panic so perfectly. And I'm just like, oh my God. If your super hot crush suddenly invited you to hang out for the day, and then they get in the car, right? And I also got Carol vibes during this car sequence Mm. because the camera was behind the seats and you can kind of see like their faces a little bit blurred out right in front. Ellie just kind of looks off, where are we going? Aster says, of all things, my secret place. What a fucking come on. I know. Want to come to my secret place? <laughs> like, <laughs> You're making it sound a little bit more sexual than, than Aster made I it mean, but that was, okay, it was a sexy scene though. There were definitely sparks were flying. It was, and I feel like it was one of those things where even Ellie was like, is she, is this, <laughs> you know, that like, no, no, it couldn't be. But then, you know, Aster says or does something else and she's like, Oh my god. <laughs> Very flustered. I know. Ellie looks out the window and the wind's blowing in her air and she's got this like wistful look in her eyes. And it also reminded me again, sorry to keep bringing up Carol. No, when Don't ever apologize for bringing up Carol. When Therese is eating her apple and she just looks out the window with like a look of pure joy on her face. <laughs> you know, like pure joy. Like I don't care where this lady takes me. Yeah. I'll go anywhere, you know? And then they get to this hot springs. So this is how shocked I was that the first time I saw it, I didn't know she was topless because I I thought I was imagining it. I I was (laughs) trying to figure it out for the longest time too. So you you were not alone in that. I was in as much of a haze as Ellie was. Well, and what's funny (laughs) is that Ellie, she starts to undress and Ellie turns around and it reminds me, I'm sorry, I keep referencing memes, but it reminds me of that meme of like when you pass Victoria's Secret when you're like 13 and you're like looking away. Like, you feel oh like God. a shit. You're like, oh, I can't look. Or like, you know, in the girls' locker room, like, growing up, you're like, oh. Oh, God. It's like, it's like before you even know that you're queer, you're like, oh, I, I shouldn't be doing this. My favorite line in the entire movie is, are these deciduous trees? <laughs> like, <laughs> she, 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 like, well, asked her, t- like, your crush, your super hot crush is topless. You whip your head around and you stare at the trees and you're like, are these deciduous trees? And then, <laughs> Just like I don't know. Oh, Ellie. Oh man. Oh my God. I'm just like that was 
fucking hilarious. And I think that was the moment where I was like, you know a lesbian wrote this. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. you know a lesbian wrote this movie. I know, <laughs> I know. That is, like, a very good example of, like, this is quality representation. This is, like, somebody who understands, somebody who went through these experiences wrote this she story, lived it. wrote this character. Mm-hmm. And she gets in there with all her fucking clothes on. <laughs> <laughs> And like Astor's like, is that long underwear? <laughs> I love, of course, and I'm sure you did too. The "I am a Russian doll of clothing" line. I mean, oh my god, God, I was cackling. Was we had to brilliant. pause the movie because I was, I was like laughing so hard. <laughs> oh. oh my god, Ellie's a sensible dresser. Ellie's wardrobe reminds me so much of my own clothing choices mm. when I was in high school. I, I, I really loved. Again, I just, I feel like it's like Alice Wu probably dressed like that. You know what I mean? Like it's just. Oh, yeah. Very kind of minor, well, seemingly minor, but I don't really think they're minor details along the way like that, like how she dressed. And then, you know, <laughs> Aster kind of forcibly t- tries to remove her clothing. Oh, my God. And, oh, my God. You know, it cuts away. And then when they come back, Aster is wearing one of Ellie's yep. layers. Yep. And I-, I was like speechless. I was just blown away. I mean, what do you even think when you're when you're Ellie in that situation? Oh I mean, she's, God. like, literally in heaven right now, you know? She's in a state of true queer bliss. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That moment between them is so intimate when they're in the hot springs. Actually, that whole day feels as if time stopped. They're, like, really in the moment. And they're communicating even when there's no dialogue. Yeah. There's, like, some kind of soul connection. Like, they get each other. Mm-hmm. That kind of chemistry is, I think, really hard to elicit from teenagers yeah. in a movie. Yeah. I think it's very hard to to really show teenagers connecting on that kind of level like on an intellectual level and on an emotional level it just was it was so deep and that moment when they're just like laying there listening to the song and you see their you know the halves of their faces in the water and they're floating together yeah oh my god what a date i mean it's just kind of a different level of friendship when you can have those when you can have those like comfortable silences and mm-hmm. I feel like for these two, you know, they're both kind of quiet people. Aster, when she hangs out with her boyfriend Trig, I mean, he's kind of up his own ass. He, do- he doesn't even notice what Aster is doing, which is usually not talking. And Ellie frequently, you know, similarly fades into the background. Here are these two quiet people that are like kind of enjoying each other's company and each other's silence and just, you know, having these really like pensive moments together. I just felt like it was really beautifully done and beautifully portrayed. And I think that's a really good way to show like a a comfort level with anybody, but specifically with teenagers, you know, you don't really have to force the dialogue to show that they're comfortable with each other. Sometimes it's no dialogue. Like they're floating in the hot springs and then out of nowhere, Ellie just says, gravity is matter's response to loneliness. (laughs) I'm like, Right? Like, to, to say something so profound and out of the blue like that, like, you have to be really comfortable with this other person right. to just sort of, like, out of nowhere, this thing comes out. And then Aster says, well, who said that? And Ellie says, I don't know. And her response is, well, then you said it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. They're, like, they're really, they're really listening to each other. They're, like, really, really present. Oh, gosh. Yeah, all around, like, beautifully done scene. Um, and I think, you know, you, you told me this before we started recording this episode but I think you're right that the three segments of the movie are sort of <laughs> the build-up and then the hot spring and then after the reveal yes the reveal, <laughs> so, the, the, reveal. the hot spring is like it's really <laughs> it is its own segment of the movie um it's yeah. so climactic and so well done 
they come back from the hot springs and then Aster goes and finds Paul and the first thing she does is like is kiss him but that kiss was meant that kiss was meant for Ellie mm. after a day that that as romantic as that day that they shared together she had to kiss something yeah. and yeah, yeah. and she was like well it doesn't make sense for me to kiss anywhere except for this boy mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. right like all that romantic energy but after the kiss paul whips around and looks at ellie's window because suddenly he's thinking about her why don't we get to the reveal hold on there are two reveals right one was paul basically trying to kiss ellie and aster sees it and that's when all the pieces come together for paul Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. paul like was developing this attraction to Ellie. Again, Ellie is the object of desire for multiple characters in this movie, which is just like, what? And Paul does the thing that Paul and Trig both do, which is like kiss before really knowing if the girl wants to kiss you. Mm-hmm. And then Ellie was like, what are you doing, right? And Astor's right there. And I was really mad at Paul in this moment because I assumed that this was Ellie's first kiss. And I was mad for Ellie that she didn't get to share it with someone she actually wanted to be right. kissing. Aster sees the whole thing. Aster is feeling like totally betrayed, of course, by both of them. It would be so fucked, right? To have spent the whole day with this person who is also kind of dating the person you're dating, right? That would have felt really shitty. And so the first reveal is it being revealed to Paul that Ellie is queer for Aster. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then also it being revealed to Aster that Paul is into Ellie and not her. Yes. Right? So it's also interesting when Paul says, you're going to hell, he doesn't say it in an accusatory tone. Mm -hmm. He says it in a confused tone. Like he can't put two and two together that this person he cares so much about is gay. I was not actually mad at him saying that. You can tell that he's confused, but I don't think he said it in like pointing his finger at you like you're going to hell kind of way. It was like, this is what I've been taught. Yes, yeah, I agree with your interpretation. The second set of reveals happens in the church and Ellie is back at the piano in the back of the church mm-hmm. love all the church scenes by the way because you can tell that this is a small town where everyone including the teacher goes to this church everyone's at the church <laughs> yeah this is the town church the entire town goes and Ellie and her father are the only people who are known to be not technically members of the church but Ellie just plays the piano it also adds to Aster's otherness. First, she has to grow up in this super strict religious household. Mm-hmm. You know that scene where they're spying on her and Ellie sees in the window that her dad is is telling Aster to cover up her yes. chest? Just like moments like that or when he's telling her daughter like sit up like a mm-hmm. lady mm-hmm. in Spanish in front of the white boyfriend and the white boyfriend's parents. Like basically telling her, his daughter be respectable. Yeah. Be like these white people. So on top of all that strictness that she has to deal with in her own family life, she also has to deal with everyone at the high school knowing that she's the pastor's daughter all of that plus having to deal with you know what is it like to be quote-unquote the pastor's daughter you have to be perfect you have to be pure you have to be all these things in front of other people at home and outside the home you can kind of see how trapped Aster is by that obviously when Trig proposes which is not a proposal he says this little lady will make me a fantastic wife that is not (laughs) that's not a proposal But the look of absolute fear on Aster's face, honestly, that tiny little head nod yes broke my heart. Had no one intervened, that would have been her life, I think. I don't know if she ever would have gotten the courage to step out of it. Um, She just kind of goes along with what people decide is her path. I was dying during that entire sequence because when Ellie bursts out, no, (laughs) like, just like yells it in the middle of the church. 
iconic moment. And then she's like, no, that's not what love is. Love is messy. And then suddenly Paul leaps up. I loved how all the churchgoers like looked at them and gasped. Yeah, yeah. All of the gas, <laughs> it's like the stock <gasps> like, <gasps> you know, oh my God. <laughs> It was so well done, yeah. And what's also hilarious is like Paul Googles, how do you know if you're a gay? How do you know if you're a gay? And so the whole time he's giving this speech about how he doesn't want to pretend anymore, his mom is out there thinking, oh my God. I know, because because she saw the search (laughs) and then she's hearing this. And then I, I love the comedic reveal of like her saying that it would be okay. And then she's like, mom, I'm not gay, but... I do want to make some changes to Grandma's sausage recipe and she's just <laughs> smacking like, it with her purse. <laughs> oh. Okay, so two things I want to say about about this this scene. So, well, one, you know, when Paul finds out about Ellie being gay and or being queer in general and has that reaction, it was actually kind of a shocking reminder to me of where this story is taking place. Because, yeah. you know, I think we're used to thinking that like this generation and, you know, People are much more accepting and and okay with it. But, you know, his initial reaction of anger and disgust was important to show that, like, that's not always the case, unfortunately. I did like that because, again, it reminded me kind of like, oh, this is taking place in a really small rural town. And it's like all like white conservatives, basically. (laughs) And so, you know, I mean, that's how he's raised. How would he why would he think any different? And then the other thing is in the church scene, you know, like we said before, I just love that Ellie's proclaiming no, no, and then and then coming down the stairs. You know, the angel is coming down and letting herself be known as the third part of the love triangle. <laughs> you know, we use the term love triangle a lot in straight love stories where it's not technically a complete love triangle. It's like a V. Mm-hmm. Like one person likes yeah. a person who likes another person, but then the other side can't yes. be completed because they're all straight. So in this case, it is truly a all the way connected triangle. Ellie likes Aster. Aster likes Paul. I mean, unknowingly, she thinks she likes Paul. And then Paul likes Ellie. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and nobody gets what they want. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> when Ellie finally comes down the stairs in front of the whole school slash town slash church, right? And she explains that love is messy and it's also bold. Then she like brilliantly brings in the painting analogy. Mm-hmm. It's being willing to ruin your good painting at the chance for a great one. And that's when the camera pans to Aster's face. And Aster is just like shook. (laughs) She says, you. And then Ellie says, is this really the boldest stroke you can make? Basically daring Aster to not follow the path that Trig is trying to lead Mm -hmm. her down. And so this becomes less about Ellie getting what she wants and more about looking out for Aster. Ellie doesn't want Aster to live a life that is not fully hers and that's why she had to speak up right no one else in the room other than the three of them know exactly what's going on right (laughs) (laughs) without outing herself to the community without outing Aster's circumstances to her family Ellie comes out in this way to Aster Mm -hmm. right like and then there's that knowing look from Aster like finally putting all the pieces together but also feeling like terribly terribly betrayed yeah Another one of my favorite moments in the movie is when, while continuing to maintain eye contact directly with Ellie, she slaps Paul. Yeah. I'm slapping Paul because he's the physical manifestation of what you've been doing, but this slap was also kind of meant for mm-hmm, you. Mm-hmm. Like, and then you can see Ellie completely shocked, as if she had herself been slapped. Yeah. I didn't, like, hate that scene. I feel like I'm a little anti 
slaps in movies and TV because it's almost always like a woman slapping a man and they're like, I feel like it's been a little bit too normalized for my liking. I don't like perpetuating that stereotype of like, it's okay to hit men. Mm. You know, a violent response to a nonviolent offense, basically. I, I get that. That makes a lot of sense. I wasn't a big fan of that decision, but I did appreciate what it represented and how, you know, Ellie also felt at the, at that she was being slapped. I mean, I think that was pretty obvious, pretty obviously written on her face. Cut to months later, it's the end of the summer. I don't know why Ellie waited this long to apologize to Aster. Like, you didn't have to wait that long. <laughs> like, <laughs> she, she goes and finds Aster. If it weren't for this scene, I would have thought, this was a sad movie, like a sad movie where the lesbian doesn't get what she wants. Yeah, and you know? honestly, based on the preface and the introduction of the film, I thought that that is how it was going to end because it, she kind of says, you know, this isn't that kind of movie where, where everybody gets what they want or something, you know. Their last scene together honestly really surprised me and also kind of solidified Aster's queerness, right? Mm-hmm. She says, you know, for what it's worth, it's not like it never crossed my mind. So she's like too afraid to actually say out loud that she considered she considered it. Yeah. She was not ready to say it out loud. And the fact that it crossed her mind and she wasn't like disgusted. She wasn't like, oh, this is so gross. This is like so wrong, blah, blah, blah. She didn't think any of that. She just thought, I'm not ready for mm-hmm, this. Mm-hmm. That is about the best response I think you can get from someone who's still figuring out their Of shit. course. And I mean, given, you know, how she grew up, I mean, seeing how Paul reacted you know, having been raised kind of in the same conditions and then amplify that for Aster, who was raised by by the pastor himself. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, I think that's pretty extraordinary that she even kind of allowed herself to, to feel that far. Because when you're like in high school and you have a crush on someone, you're afraid that if they find out, they're going to be so disgusted by the fact yes. that a lesbian likes them. Like they're going to be so grossed out that a pervert has a crush mm-hmm, on them. Mm-hmm. That was the thing I was so afraid of for Ellie, that Aster would find out, and then Aster would be grossed out. But instead, Aster was like, maybe I was into it. I'm just not ready to go there yet. Mm-hmm. But even in their last exchange, you can tell that there are still sparks, the chemistry between the two of yes. them. Where she's like poking fun of like, what's God gonna think? You know, like Ellie's making yeah, fun. Yeah, I like that. They, they kind of got that banter. And I feel like Ellie's confidence, you know, in comparison to the beginning of the film has like skyrocketed. Yes, Yes, and she's also learned some things Mm -hmm. from Paul about being fucking bold. Esther's like, you know, in a couple of years, I'm going to figure all this out. And and Ellie's response is like, good luck. (laughs) I'm just like, oh my God, this is hilarious. This is amazingly queer. It's as if Ellie, she sees the gay bee before her, knowing that she was once there. And she's like, come, come this way in a couple of years. (laughs) (laughs) I know, and it is funny because it's like in comparison – Ellie does seem like now, you know, the veteran gay, like who knows it all. But she's about to step into a whole new world herself of even more continued discovery. But at least Aster is sort of like taking the plunge. So they start to walk away. And in the Netflix chat, which I don't think you were participating no, in because I, I wasn't think you were actually focusing it, yeah. on the movie. There was about to be a mutiny. All of us in the Netflix chat were like, if they don't fucking kiss... <laughs> We're gonna, we're gonna like throw down. She's walking away. She's walking away. There's no fucking kiss. There's no kiss, right? I think Alice Wu wanted us to be that outraged. Yeah, yeah. Like we deserved a kiss was earned. And then Ellie finally throws down her bike, goes after her and gives her, I think two kisses, like one and then two. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, I mean, and again, kind of drawing on what she learned from Paul. <laughs> and she's like, I'll see you in a couple of years. Oh my God. And the look on Aster's face of shock and surprise and also like delight. She's just smiling at what just happened. I love that Ellie went back for the kiss when we weren't expecting her to. I love that Aster's reaction. I felt like it was perfect. It's not like she's you know, overjoyed, like, oh, suddenly I realize I'm in love with this girl. I mean, that's not realistic, right? Like, she's just happy. Like, she's very content and, like, kind of has that, like, the blushing glow of, like, the schoolgirl who's been kissed. You know what I mean? It's just, it's like, it's all very sweet and wholesome and it just leaves you with a smile on your face. Like, you know, the movie ends and you're just Mm. feeling so good and uplifted, even though these two did not end up together. So sweet, so wholesome. And now kids are going to grow up with both Love, Simon and the half of it. And I'm just like, in my day, you know, like we're still shaking our fists at the air. Like, like you greedy youngins, you grew up with glee. You Fuck grew you. up with glee. <laughs> but, you know, I'm so appreciative that we also are getting, you know what I mean? It's not just the young kids that yeah. get to benefit from this representation. I mean, we're consuming this media too. And so that's kind of like what I was talking about at the beginning of this podcast when I was saying it's like when you're looking for stuff to watch, you got to kind of lower your standards and look again. I feel like I'm not lowering my standards anymore. I have enough content to watch at my high standard. It's only now during yes. quarantine that <laughs> that I have a lot more time <laughs> in my hands that I sometimes need to lower my standards. But, you know, on average, under normal circumstances, I'm pretty satisfied with, with the content. I mean, and, you know, that's relatively speaking, of course. I mean, I still, we're, we're leagues behind heterosexual representation. But... <laughs> But I still feel like there's enough little bitty scraps of queer rep and quite a bit of media that's being produced nowadays Mm. to kind of keep us going. Okay, so we have kind of our three main characters of um, Ellie, Paul, and Aster, where we get very in-depth. We have some secondary characters like Ellie's dad, the teacher. I would even argue that like Paul's family as a whole, just sort of like his his backstory, where he comes from. We're getting like a, a full picture of who they are, but not obviously quite as much as the main characters. And then it kind of felt like everybody else was almost like a cardboard cutout. You know, it's like part of the setting. And that included Trig, Astra's boyfriend. So at first, I almost was a little bit bothered by the fact that, you know, because she's essentially cheating on him the whole movie. And the way that he's portrayed, it's like, we don't care, right? Like, he's this douchey, like, asshole, like, whatever. We're not, we're not sad about it. She can do better. She should do better, whatever. But, you know, it's like he never really kind of got beyond that two-dimensional. And, I mean, I know he is a very, like, vain and two-dimensional person. And I'm not saying that we wa- I wanted more screen time <laughs> of him and his story. I'm just saying, like, at first I was a little bit bothered by the fact that he was so easily sort of tossed aside. You know, he's, he's almost like the token mm. white guy in a film that's yeah. full of white people. So I don't. So I. I guess on my second and third viewings, I kind of thought actually they're not exclusive. Really. Remember when Trig goes and finds Ellie afterwards and is like, "I know why you keep following around. You have a crush on me." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he kind of starts to lean in. Yeah. For a kiss with her, and then her dad like rightly shoots water yeah. in his face. So the fact that he was trying to kiss Ellie to me indicated that they were both kind of, they were seeing each other, but not, first of all, they're not having sex because it's the pastor's daughter. Right. I don't know that they were just dating each other. See, that's an interesting interpretation because I thought that they are exclusive. When Astor goes on the dates with Paul, they meet at that diner and she even thanks him for meeting somewhere, I don't know if it's outside of town, but like far enough that other people from Squamish won't see them. 
intentionally because she she doesn't want people talking. So I took yeah. that to mean that she is not supposed to be oh. seeing other people. You know, Trig trying to kiss Ellie, I thought, was just kind of part of his douchebag demeanor. <laughs> oh, okay. You know, it was just like, I, I don't know. I don't know what he was thinking in that moment. But I guess it kind of, it tracked with where yeah. I think that if he knew that Aster was seeing someone else or writing to someone else, he would not have been okay with it. That makes a lot of sense. And Aster's probably thinking, I'm too checked out of any of this to care. Yeah. I don't think Aster knows herself or knows her boundaries. Mm -hmm. Like, she's so indecisive about who she should be dating, whether she should marry Trig, what she wants to be doing with her life. Does she want to go to art school or not? Yeah. She's so young and confused that I don't know that it registered for her. I don't know that she was thinking, I'm cheating on my boyfriend. I think she was just thinking... I'm just doing whatever it is that I'm yeah, doing. Yeah, she's exploring her options. I mean, she's never really been able to make her own decisions. So she's kind of toying exactly. with doing that for the first time. And she does yes, say that, yes. you know, she was asking for a sign before she got that first note. A sign if she should she should still be with Trig or something like that. I can't remember exactly what she said. Mm -hmm. It seemed a little strange to me in a movie where, you know, I felt like people were fleshed out so well that there were some people who... Mm. Um, or not. I thought Trigg was hilarious. Though. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely the comedic relief. And it helps that he's not hurt or upset in the final scene. He's just kind of yeah. hilariously confused. I'm the good painting. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah because then we feel less bad. Like I, like I said, it's kind of conflicting because it's like you wouldn't really feel bad because mm -hmm. he doesn't deserve her in the first place. Mm -hmm. But it's like we don't really see that negative consequence of like yeah. Trigg being upset or reacting. I think this was purposeful on the director's mm. part to have this cishet male character be a caricature. Mm. I think she wanted to do that on purpose. Yeah. Like, here's our token white guy because I always see the token Asian. I'm going to flip it this time since I'm writing this yeah, story. Yeah. The character who's most fleshed out outside of the three of them is the dad. He says a line to Paul that helps Paul come to terms with... Ugh, yeah, I love that scene. Ellie's queerness. And he speaks to him in Mandarin, which also like fantastic choice mm -hmm. there. And then he closes with, have you ever loved somebody so much you don't want anything about them to change? And thinking about that line now, I feel that he would not be so mad about it if Ellie came out to him. Yeah. And I think that was just such a loving exchange between the two men in Ellie's life. Yep. So I wanted to read a segment of an interview with Alice Wu. Okay. The Autostraddle interview with her. And this really encompasses, you know, a lot of what we've been talking about, but it's in her own words. So, so she says, for me, it's not really about who ends up getting the girl. It really ends up being about how these three people learn something about themselves. It's about how their collision gives them the peace of themselves that allows them to move on and become the people that they need to be. Each of them finally takes a step forward at the end of the film and the film is like the beginning of their lives. That, for me, is the happiest ending. But then that's technically not a romantic comedy. Or maybe it is. I don't know. I don't feel like it's a pure romantic comedy. I would say I tend to make small humanistic comedies where the people feel grounded. My goal is hopefully you're laughing, but at some point, I hope you cry. If I've not made you cry, I have failed. <laughs> <laughs> that's darling. I definitely laughed and cried during this film, but knowing that this was her goal, I think she accomplished it beautifully. We need wholesome, positive, queer content yeah, right now. Yeah. And this gave me a lot of hope. i loving how much press it's getting. Yes. When Saving Face was made, it was such a tiny film. And now we get a story like this. Alice Wu is getting the accolades she so clearly earned yeah. from this yeah. movie. Yeah. You know, I mean, we said that we would have loved this film in our high school 
years. And so mm-hmm. I hope that current, you know, middle or high schoolers are appreciating it. <laughs> yeah. Like, I hope yeah. it's doing for them what I speculate it would have done for me <laughs> at that age. Right. Yeah. <laughs> if they made a sequel and they reunited these three characters and Aster and Ellie both sort of come out into their queerness, mm-hmm. I would so be down. But I also respect that Alice maybe wanted to, again, like I'm friends with her. Or something. Right, yeah. <laughs> To leave it on this like super hopeful, unknowing moment. Yeah, I mean, uh, for all of I the like characters. the aspect of it being just sort of a snippet of their lives. But mm-hmm. then I also sort of wonder what would a sequel look like? You know, would it be like they're back home for the summer from college or they finished college? Would the sequel be in Swahamish? Would it be somewhere else that they all just sort of coincidentally ended up? I think it would be like five-year high school reunion. Maybe Aster has figured her shit out or something. We're shippers at heart, of course. right? I was obviously shipping Ellie with Aster, and I would love for that ship to sail. Yes. And, and I was also shipping the friendship between Ellie and Paul, so I would love for that to exactly. continue. This is a different kind of ship, I think, that we're on. Um, yeah. It's not just the romantic one. It's the platonic yes, one exactly. that we're also really into. And I would even say that between Ellie and Aster, there's a beautiful friendship there, I too. agree, yeah. Um, I mean... I- Honestly, the only side of the triangle I wasn't sold on was between Aster and Paul, because when it came down to it, I felt like they didn't really have have much in common. (laughs) She's sweet and never mean and pretty. And I'm just like, what? (laughs) Those are the reasons that you like someone? I guess. Okay. Wow. You know, he he tries. (laughs) He's not great at articulating his feelings. Whether or not there's a sequel, I would love to, you know, my personal headcanon is that they maintain some connection into the future. And it's okay with me if Aster and Ellie don't end up together. I know that's like, you know, realistically very unlikely. But if we weren't being realistic because this is a story. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) We could say. Why do we have to be realistic? This is fiction, honey. (laughs) Yeah, so maybe, you know, they had some more experiences of discovery in college, and then they met again after, and, you know, fate kind of brings them together. You know what I want to do right now? I want to see how many fix there are. Oh, Oh, yep, okay, yep, 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 yep. They're already... (laughs) Oh my god, how many? 65 works on Archive of Our Own right now. Wow. Okay. 25 for general audiences, 24 are teen and up, 10 are not rated, 5 are mature, 1 is explicit. So one person has gone there. But... (laughs) You are always after the smut, Aphrodite. I swear to God. Every (laughs) fanfic opportunity you get, you're like... What are the explicit <laughs> ones like? What's the quality of the explicit ones? It's like... I'm saying the things that all fangirls, maybe minus you, I don't know how pure you are. <laughs> I think for me, it depends on the original context. You know what I mean? Like watching the story of them being like high schoolers and likely all of them, you know, have not had sex yet. Mm-hmm. I think my mind doesn't immediately go there. I think I'm in it for the fluff at this point. Right. It's like they're teenagers. They're 17 years old. I can also just like have them flirt and imagine a future where they're maybe holding hands. <laughs> so risque. Oh, so risque. Okay. <laughs> Thank you so much for reuniting for this, Amira. It was so much I fun know, to chat with you. I know. I really enjoyed it. And thank you so much for listening. I know it's been a while. Hope you enjoyed this little podcast episode, also full of wholesome queer joy. We are sending you all our very best and hope you're staying like super safe yes, and healthy. Indeed. Stay safe during the quarantine. The quarantine. Until next time. Bye. Bye.